This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we start, if you haven't checked out part one yet, I recommend listening to that episode before playing this one. In April 2011, the bodies of five members of the Dupont de Ligonnès family had all been found buried in the backyard of their home in the French town of Nantes. 49-year-old Agnès and her four children, 20-year-old Arthur, 18-year-old Thomas, 16-year-old Anne, 13-year-old Benoit, and the family's two dogs, had all been shot multiple times. But one member of the family was missing. 50-year-old Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès, the trusted patriarch of the household. Authorities still were not sure if he was a victim or the killer. Either way, the hunt for him was on. A major police hunt is on for the father, 50-year-old Xavier Dupont de Ligon, whose credit card details suggest he may have headed to the southern city of Marseille. The inquiry has unfortunately now become a criminal investigation into kidnap and murder. We know very little. The day after the bodies were discovered, Xavier's car was found abandoned. It was parked at a hotel almost 700 miles from the family home. As far as Xavier's relatives were concerned, the bodies at the house were definitely not those of Agnès and her children. They arrived at this conclusion based on the fact that none of them was permitted to see the bodies and confirm their identities. The funerals were held six days after the autopsies were completed, which Xavier's family insisted was too quick and further efforts to conceal the real identities of the deceased. Agnes and the children were honored at a simple ceremony at their local church. An estimated 1,400 people turned out to pay their respects and to show support for the family and friends. Security at the funeral was tight as authorities remained on the lookout for anyone in attendance that looked suspicious. By this point, no arrests had been made, but investigators had been able to reconstruct what they believed were the events leading up to the murders. Recent activity on Xavier's bank account helped fill in some of the details, and a clearer picture of the family's last movements was beginning to emerge. On the afternoon of April 1st, 2011, the couple's oldest child, Arthur, was on his way to the pizzeria where he worked to collect his paycheck. But when he failed to show, his employer thought something was wrong. Arthur always picked up his earnings on the first of every month, without exception, until now. That same day, Xavier purchased cement and a shovel from a hardware store hours away from their home. The next day, he bought four 20-pound bags of lime from different stores around Nantes. April 3, 2011, was the last day Agnès was believed to have been seen by her neighbors. That evening, she and Xavier, along with three of their children, Thomas, Anne, and Benoit, went out for dinner and then to a movie. Afterwards, Thomas returned to his school campus, about an hour away, to get ready for the week ahead. Later that night, at around 10.30 p.m., Xavier called one of his sisters and left a message on her voicemail. We've just got back. I'm just calling to ask if it's too late to speak to you on the phone and now I see it's gone to voicemail. 
Anyway, sending you my love. If it's not too late, call me back or send me a text and I'll call you. Okay, I'm going to put the kids to bed. Say hi to everyone. See you soon. Maybe. The next day, Anne and Benoit were absent from school. Apparently, they had both become ill and couldn't make it to classes that day. Xavier also advised Agnès's employer that she was suffering from a stomach flu and would be staying home to rest. That afternoon, Thomas's ex-girlfriend noticed that he seemed, as she put it, lonely. She said that he decided to skip class the next day, but that he was planning to attend music practice. But Thomas never showed up, and never called, which, for anyone who knew him, was totally out of character. According to reports, earlier that evening, Xavier and Thomas had dinner together at a high-end restaurant. When investigators questioned the waitstaff, they clearly recalled Thomas suddenly falling ill near the end of the meal. They also remembered just how little the two spoke to each other. Usually active on social media, friends of Anne and Benoit were becoming increasingly concerned the longer they were offline. Neither of the siblings had responded to any of their texts or online messages. On the afternoon of April 5th, Thomas was hanging out at a friend's place when he got a call from his father. Thomas was planning to spend the night at his friend's, but Xavier needed him to come home immediately. He said that Agnès had been involved in a serious accident while riding her bicycle, and that all the kids were instructed to return to the house. Worried about his mother, Thomas caught a train home around 10 p.m. He sent a text to a friend at around midnight, and when his friend texted him back the following day, the only response he received was a message saying, I'm really ill. I'm not coming to class. That afternoon, a debt collector arrived at the family home to meet with Xavier, but no one came to the door. Not long after, Agnes's employer received a text with an update about her stomach flu. Without providing much detail, the message simply advised that she had been hospitalized and would not be available by phone. It wasn't just Agnes who had gone incommunicado. Arthur's girlfriend had not heard from him in several days, and by now was seriously worried that something bad happened. That evening, she decided to drive by the house, and right away noticed that all the lights were off, with the exception of one on the main floor. When she knocked on the front door, instead of hearing the typical barking of the family's two Labradors, there was nothing but silence. This corroborated reports from neighbors that heard the dogs howling nonstop for two nights before the noise suddenly stopped. Investigators came to the conclusion that Xavier committed the majority of the killings on the night of April 3rd. They were confident it was after the family had enjoyed dinner and a movie together that he murdered Agnès, then Arthur, Anne, and finally Benoit. Two days later, on April 5th, he killed Thomas the moment he arrived home, expecting to find his mother badly injured from a bicycle accident. On April 7th, Thomas's friend received an odd text message that read, I'm out of battery. My dad's looking for a new charger for me. That same day, Xavier was seen loading up his car with luggage. One neighbor told police she had spoken to Agnès that day as she was walking one of the dogs. A nearby shop owner also claimed that Agnès was in the store on or around April 7th or 8th, 
This added some confusion to the timeline investigators were trying to establish, as these two accounts were several days after they believed she had last been seen. On April 8th, Xavier emailed his brother-in-law, saying, Everything's fine. You'll hear more detailed news soon. Bye for now. All the best. Messages were also sent to his mother and sister. Detectives were able to confirm that all the emails were sent from the same IP address, which was registered to the family home. Two days later, a speed camera captured his vehicle heading south out of town. He drove for about an hour and a half before checking into a motel where he stayed the night. The next day, April 11th, Anne and Benoit's school received a letter informing them that the children's tuition had been paid in full, but that they would not be returning. The reason given was that the family had relocated to Australia due to urgent professional changes. Their classmates could not believe that Anne and Benoit had not mentioned the big news to any of them. The same day, Agnes's employer, who thought she was still battling a serious illness, received her resignation letter. It was signed by what appeared to be her signature, and it referenced the move to Australia as the reason. In the meantime, Xavier was on the road trying to put as much distance as possible between him and the crime scene. The last time anyone saw Xavier was on April 14, 2011, a week after he loaded his car with luggage and drove off. He was caught on camera withdrawing cash from an ATM. The bank machine was located almost 700 miles away from his home, in a popular tourist area known as the French Riviera. Shortly after, he was spotted on camera again in the parking lot of the hotel where his car was later found abandoned. But that was it. By the following day, he had vanished. At this point, investigators had discovered that, in the weeks leading up to the murders, Xavier had been wrapping up other aspects of the family's life. The lease on their house had been terminated, and several bank accounts belonging to the family had been closed. Also, to authorities, it did not appear that Xavier was trying to leave the country as quickly as one would expect if he had just massacred his entire family. His movements and strange behavior following the murders was puzzling. In fact, almost everything about the case was still a mystery. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. The area where Xavier had last been seen on CCTV was close to a mountainous area of France where cave networks are common. If he was planning to disappear into the wilderness and take his own life, this would have been a good spot. Authorities agreed, 
and started searching the area 24 hours after the backyard graves were discovered. Convinced he had not been kidnapped and was in fact the killer, two and a half weeks later, on May 10th, authorities issued an international arrest warrant for Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès. Meanwhile, investigators had been digging into the family's finances and their personal and business relationships. What they uncovered was far from the picture of a quintessential, perfect family. It seemed that by 2004, Xavier had burned through almost $100,000 on his business ideas. The money, it turned out, was given to Agnès as part of an inheritance. Losing a lot of money was just part of the problem the couple was facing. That same year, Agnès reached out to an online psychology forum. She wrote, I have some concerns in my relationship because I have a husband who is very old-fashioned in his way of being in the family. The father is the boss. He gives an order. We execute it without seeing to question or understand. Period. In his relationship with me, he plays his role of head of the family, of a husband who must bring back his crust, but is neither tender, nor cuddly, nor attentive. In short, add to that big money worries, and you will easily imagine the picture and the atmosphere. I'm in pain. I lack everything. Tenderness, love, mutual friends, everything. It is too brittle, too dry, too rigid, too military. There is no more tenderness, attention, gentleness, sex. He hates being made to understand that his behavior does not please him. He feels attacked and humiliated, belittled. Thank you for your help, please. Ask him if he's happy. The answer is the same. Yes, yes, but we could all die tomorrow. What a fool. Encouraging, eh? The following year, Agnès filed a police report after Xavier assaulted Arthur. In 2008, it was rumored that Xavier had become romantically involved with another woman. It was around this time that he also started posting online messages to a fundamentalist Catholic discussion group. While using several different usernames, in 2010, he began group chats about the meaning of sacrifice, often becoming combative with other users as the discussion continued. His online behavior was so aggressive, he was eventually kicked out and ultimately banned from the website. Xavier's financial problems were apparently much worse than anyone in the family had realized. According to an email he wrote to his mistress, the situation was becoming desperate. I am ruined, at rock bottom, like never before. I am awake almost every night with these morbid ideas. Burning down the house after giving everyone sleeping pills, or killing myself so that Agnès gets 600,000 euros. In any case, my life will end in the next few months if I don't get 25,000 euros immediately. Most of the time I'm not in a dream, but in a nightmare, and I can't escape, except, of course, by doing something radical and final. Coming to his rescue, his mistress loaned him the money, but things only continued to spiral downwards. In January 2011, Xavier's father died, and for a moment, he saw a potential solution to his financial problems in the form of an inheritance. The reality, however, was pretty disappointing. 
His father was flat broke. One of the only things Xavier did inherit was found when he was cleaning out his father's apartment. It was a 22 caliber long rifle. As forensics would later confirm, this was the same type of weapon that was used to kill his wife, his four children, and his two dogs. In February 2011, Xavier obtained a firearms license and started looking for a shooting range to join. At one club, he was reportedly asking training staff about how to use a silencer. The following month, he joined the club, providing the required medical certificate stating that he was mentally fit. Xavier signed up for several practice sessions, from late March to the beginning of April. During that time, he purchased a silencer, as well as plenty of ammunition. According to the records kept at the shooting range, Thomas and Benoit were learning how to shoot as well. Arthur was also scheduled to begin lessons. With Xavier and the boys seemingly happy with their new pastime, things were still tense with Agnès. Members of her prayer group later told police that she felt threatened and asked her friends to pray for her husband. In the weeks following the murders, Xavier's family raised the possibility that even though emails had been traced back to his IP address, they could have been written under duress. They suggested the family had been killed by other individuals, who had then taken Xavier from the house before murdering him, too. Meanwhile, search teams had spent two months looking for Xavier in the hills and caves near where he was last spotted. Border officials had no evidence the fugitive had left France. They had been closely watching the airports, train stations, shipping ports, and border crossings. As far as authorities were concerned, Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès was still in the country, and they were going to find him, dead or alive. A month before the first anniversary of the murders and the disappearance of the main suspect, Xavier's family approached the media. His family continued to insist that Agnès and the children were still alive. This time, they suggested the entire family had fled to the United States. One of his sisters documented these alternative theories on a blog dedicated to the case. A year later, investigators again launched a search operation in the mountain range near where Xavier had last been seen. The latest effort included cave divers and specialist search and rescue personnel. But still, there was no trace of the suspected killer. The following month, a body was found hanging from a tree in the woods just 12 miles from the last reported sighting. Following the autopsy, however, it was announced that the body was not Xavier. Two years later, in late April 2015, there was another lead when a hiker stumbled across what appeared to be human bones in a remote cave. When the police searched the scene, they did find human remains along with what looked to be a makeshift campsite. Scattered about the cave were other clues. There was an empty wallet, a lighter, a razor, a pair of glasses, a sleeping bag, a jacket, a magazine, and a bill dating from 2011. It was looking promising that authorities had finally found their suspect. The glasses, jacket, and razor were sent for DNA testing, but it would prove to be another dead end. A forensic examination of the human remains found a metal implant in one of the forearms, which Xavier did not have. Two months later, 
a reporter received a photograph in the mail of Arthur and Benoit sitting at a kitchen table. On the back of the picture, someone had written three words, I'm still alive. Unfortunately, detectives were unable to trace the origins of the photo and believe it was sent by someone other than Xavier. In 2015, the family's former home sold for 60% below the estimated value. It had been on the market for more than three years and had become a popular stop for people wanting to get a selfie at what had been dubbed the House of Terrors. Since the murders, the property had also become a shrine to Agnes and the children. The front door had been covered with personal notes, and on the front steps, bouquets of flowers stretched out onto the pavement. Over the years, more than 900 reports were made to police by those who believed they had seen Xavier. One of those reports was received in January 2018. Law enforcement got a tip that he was hiding out in a monastery, not far from where he was last seen years earlier. Following up on the lead proved especially frustrating to investigators. The monks were observing a vow of silence and were of little assistance. In the end, authorities came to the conclusion that it was nothing more than a case of mistaken identity. The most exciting development occurred in October 2019, when police at Glasgow Airport in Scotland received word the suspect was about to land. Interpol was confident that a man flying from Paris with a stolen French passport was Xavier. As soon as the plane arrived, the passenger was arrested and fingerprinted. As the story broke in headlines across Europe, it appeared the manhunt had finally come to an end. De Ponte Ligonès had gone to great lengths to disguise his appearance, even undergoing cosmetic surgery. It's a turning point in one of the biggest criminal cases of the last decade in France. No sooner had the public started celebrating than French investigators announced that they had concerns the man wasn't their suspect at all. Following a DNA test, the man was identified as a 69-year-old Portuguese-born French citizen who was visiting family in Scotland. A man arrested at Glasgow Airport is not a French fugitive suspected of killing his wife and four children. Despite reports believing the suspect had been caught, police from France travelled to Scotland to confirm the man's identity through DNA tests. Xavier Dupont Ligonès has not been seen since April 2011. If Xavier did in fact leave France, as many believe, his fluent English and Spanish means that he could be living anywhere. His family remains adamant that he is not a murderer, but that he really is a government informant who is now in the witness protection program. In a blog post, they wrote, I hope that Xavier and his family were exfiltrated to the United States because their existence was threatened in France. They are convinced that Xavier, his wife, and their four children are all living happy and safe lives under their new identities. As far as authorities are concerned, Investigators are confident that, after he massacred his family, Xavier Dupont de Ligonnès fled to an unknown location where he took his own life. Until they find his body, however, the investigation remains open.
Production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.